1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another Silver Club podcast. Excited to be here with you once again, Colin, continuing on, keeping everybody in tune with what's going on in the golfing world. Beth Page got a lot of attention for being wet, and it was it was a, it was a lousy spring, and that golf course had some serious teeth to it in the rough. What what were some of your takeaways from being there for the week? Beth Page, the 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 big challenge of Beth Page, and this is why I kind of don't think that. It's been tweaked over the years. Reese Jones came in, and you know, and architecturally speaking, there's you can see A. W. Tillinghast all over the place. But when you get to the greens, you don't see them. It's like the greens were. It's like the golf course was kind of neutered once you got to the greens because on an A. W. Tillinghast, a typical Tillinghast design, you have some great slopey greens, and you know, whenever you get to the greens on Beth Page, you know, the putt from twenty feet is right edge, you know, left edge. There's there's not a lot of three and four foot breaks. There's not a lot of internal contours to the, the greens at Beth Page. So, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to get up there and, and do some live streaming coverage for PGA.com. Uh, all last week we got to cover, uh, I was with uh, Brian Katrick and Michael Breed and uh, a few other guys, and, and it was a ton of fun. We got to cover uh, Tiger, Kepka, and Molinari in the first round. That was really special. We watched and called uh, Kepka's 63 and Tiger's return to the game uh, from his uh, was his first round back since Augusta. So uh, th- there was a lot. There was a big, big hype on it. But the golf course itself, it was the rough was just it was three and a half inches at the beginning of the week, and by Sunday it was you know four and a half or five. It was fully juiced up, uh, very, very uh, moist, if you will. The ball just sat right down. It was like hitting out of, uh, you know, a, a big sprig of broccoli with the ball just kind of at the bottom. It was really tough. You know, I, I've, I always wondered if the um, the greens were sort of relatively tame by design for sort of, you know, state park standards of the 30s or, um, or, or if they were sort of slowed down or if they were sort of the contours were undermined by Reese Jones. It seems like... I love the red. We play the red every year and, and there isn't, there isn't always a lot going on, just a tiny bit of tilt. There's just enough to give them a little bit of intrigue, but far from anything. You're right. I, they wouldn't be confused with the Tilling Hats greens at Somerset Hills or no, Wingfoot East or close. any of those places. But so, so that must've been fun. Now you, you were walking with them. Were you monitor, Were you following that group on foot? I, I was actually in the booth and as the lead analyst and, it was it was a tremendous amount of fun and and the uh, that first round on on PGA.com was the only place actually to watch watch that grouping because the network coverage didn't come on until the afternoon so uh, PGA.com they set all sorts of records over two two million hits um, on their live stream there it was uh, it was pretty exciting and and you know, everybody wanted to see what was going to happen 
with uh, with Tiger number one, and then Kepka just goes out and blitzes the field. He could have shot sixty that day. It was, it, I mean, he missed you know, three putts inside eight feet that that could have gone easily. So uh, no no wonder why he was hold, holding that Wanamaker Trophy at the end of the week. You know, he made it look so easy for the first couple of days, the first three days. Even in Tiger's dominant era, he made everything a, a struggle. I mean, he had a few runaway wins, but majority of those majors sort of always came down to the last few holes and he always seemed to pull it out, but it was never without being sort of, he was tortured. He tortured himself. And I think Kepka got a, got a taste of that sort of style of winning <laughs> where it sort of needlessly got closer than he, he would have liked. And it sort of, it remained compelling. Well, it came off. Tell me how, uh, what was the, was the crowd as kind of crazy and boisterous as it came across on, on television, on the sort of streaming coverage? It, it was, it was nuts. It was, I mean, you had New York crowds and a lot of alcohol <laughs> yeah. and, and, and just the fact that all these players have, you know, so many of the gallery have played the golf course at Beth Page. That's probably the cool thing. It's the connection to the game. And, and so many of the gallery, they know that they've hit these shots before and, and, you know, they know how difficult they are, but, when they started chanting DJ, DJ, when when Brooks was making that bogey run uh, on the back nine on Sunday, it was, um, it, you know, it goes against a little bit of the traditions of the game, obviously, but uh, I, it's going to be outrageous to think what it's going to be like in 2024 at the Ryder Cup there. I, I, I mean, I would love to just go see it as a for the spectacle of it. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to see a golf shot if I was in the gallery, but it uh, it will be something to behold. It'll just be a pandemonium, I think. You know, you, you made a good point about the, the spectators. Probably no other uh, U.S. Open would have the spectators be such as high a percentage of those who have played the course. Like Pebble and Pinehurst, they may be public, but they're, you know, they're high-end resorts. I guess Tory for the San Diego County residents. But Bethpage, I mean, you could have like a quarter, half the, half the, half the people in the, uh, through the gate that day have played the course and know the ground. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a cool sort of connection that the crowd have. You're playing their club. It's imagine you go to a, the U S opens played at some club that has, you know, 75,000 members and half of them were there in attendance that day. No, it, it, it was cool. And it was, uh, it, it was just destined, though, given the length of the golf course. And, and I mean, the PGA of America, uh, in all fairness, they Kerry Haig and his staff set the golf course up as fairly as they could. It wasn't tricked up. It was, it was soft, but it, you had to drive the ball really well. The fairways were, you know, 19 to 25 yards wide. And, uh, you know, Kepka and DJ and those long hitters that played really well, it was really just destined for one of those guys to win because – uh, you know, if they hit in the rough, they're far enough down. And that's why you right. see Brooks. These guys just hit driver all over the place, and they don't care. And, frankly, they needed to because there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of layups. But what, what are you, what's been going on with you? I know you, you, you spent some time out. Uh, you had two individuals play in the NCAA regional out at Stanford. Uh, give us kind of a, a rundown of, of a few things and, and, you know, what you've been up to since. Sure, yeah. We uh, had for the – I've – Unfortunately, uh, we didn't get to go to regionals as a team, so we made lemonade. We got we had two players. I I had taken one other time a, an individual to regionals. Uh, so uh, James, Teddy, and myself, 
we flew out last week. We got in 54 holes at the San Francisco Golf Club with uh, Steve Castriel, uh, father to a, a player who graduated last year and stayed two nights in the Cal Club. It was a nice little introduction. Maybe maybe SFGC was a little too wide for what they were prepared for because we we got to go to we went to Stanford last Sunday for the practice round. Uh, they let the field use their marvelous uh, private practice facility. That thing is the best golf practice facility west of the Mississippi. It's not fair how just gorgeous and stunning it is. And the kids struggled. They were we were in great spirits. It, um, Eddie had had a, a casual 66. Uh, and, and you're talking about, just so our listeners are clear, you're talking about Teddy Zisner, your future captain next year. He'll be a junior. senior, or rising junior, excuse me. Yeah. And then James Nicholas, the, your your outgoing captain, just graduated. Right. Uh, kind of bittersweet passing of the torch there in a way. Yeah, the immediate past captain and the uh, incoming captain. captain. And uh, James had had as good a year in the Ivy League as any player in 25 years or, you know, since Peter Williamson's era. Um, and Teddy was amazing as well. Uh, Teddy didn't, Teddy actually was the only person to really have any sort of more than one or two wins and head against James all year and head to head. But the kids were in great spirits and Stanford is a beautiful place. Um, the golf course is not particularly long, but it, it's tight. It's tighter than we were sort of accustomed to. And, and uh, they both had it going okay on day one, and then they, they both faltered on 17 and 18, and then it really sort of set them back. But uh, they fought hard. They played well. It was a, it was a, great, it was a great time, a great chance to spend time with them, and I'm um, very excited for, the, for next year. But we, we flew home on a red-eye Wednesday night, and it precluded getting down to Bethpage. Uh, I had to go to – I had a, a, a fun wedding of a college teammate, and – and then on Sunday night, we had a nice ritual. We had the four, I had four graduating seniors. We had all their sort of family over um, the, the Yale graduation at Sunday and Monday and had a nice backyard party before they all went out to dinner. And it was, it was a nice send off. And then they graduated Monday. And then the sort of the first day of the next chapter of their lives, I took them on a day trip to Fisher's Island to play golf, catch the, catch the ferry in new London. And we, we played, uh, zipped around there, and then a, a three-ball six. I'm on the Hay Harbor nine-hole courts, and got the uh, 7 p.m. ferry back. That was that's pretty good. I'm great. I, I've been fortunate enough to play Fisher's Island a couple times, and just for those out there who maybe haven't had a chance to take that ferry ride and go play that masterpiece on Fisher's Island, what what is it like? Describe it in uh, just just for people who maybe haven't been there. Well, it's 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 coastal headlands, really. It's not lynx land. It's not sandy dunes, but um, there's no experience in the East Coast. I guess it's 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 twinned with Cypress Point in a way. Where um, in this case, you arrive by boat, and there's views of views of the views of the ocean and the sound from every single green. It's we played in a free club wind. I think now that. Maidstone has added fairway irrigation. It, it, it has the distinction of maybe being the only sort of club of significance without without fairway irrigation. So in July and August, and it plays as sort of rough and tumble as any lake court. Newport, in the Newport Country Club does they? I don't know if they have fairway irrigation. They might, but that's good. That's a good point. They didn't look like they did in '95. <laughs> no, they didn't in '95, but uh, at, the, at the U.S. Amateur there. But uh, yeah, it. it 
yeah, you can go out there and it looks dry and looks kind of beat up, but the ball runs and and it's just it's a it's it's so cool. What's your favorite hole out there? The early stretch, three, four, five. I, that's I'm not. Uh, that's probably a pretty popular selection. But you've got sort of uh, you've got sort of some really tricky holes that you don't necessarily hit driver. The the fourth hole is sort of an Alp punch bowl. You drive to the end of the fairway with a blind shot, and then the fifth hole is their uphill all world, two hundred and thirty yard pirates with with a with a green higher than the tee shot. And so. That and Yale's ninth, I think, are the, but without question, the two best spirit holes in the world. Um, and uh, I don't think there's any question. And and it, but in such a joy because it's still a, it's still just a short course. Like Cypress, it's 6,500 yards. They, um, it's it 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 might be a bomber's paradise of sorts. But I was able to, you know, you're able to get around and hit a lot of flighted shots and really, and the it's 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 unreal real how uh, enjoyable that golf course is well so yeah you talk about the the camaraderie of college golf and now your season at yale is done and now the recruiting time starts and and you'll be getting back into it in the fall but steve i got something i got something cool for you the listeners will enjoy this silver club golfers would like it college golfers would like it i have a couple students uh, a couple players staying for the summer working in the labs here and and they're playing, they're playing the Yale courts at night. And I got to give credit to uh, Darren Lynn from Chino Hills, sophomore. Hasn't been, you know, he, he uh, he's playing every night. And he's, 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 he's imagining playing the holes in different directions and adding variety. And he, he said to me a couple nights ago, he goes, we could play the Yale courts in reverse. And we went through the course last night and we mapped out on Google Earth. And we were able to add 400 yards to the golf course, including a number of really hard, long 20, 230 shots that don't really exist on the Yale course. It's almost, it's, it's actually, we're going to test it out pretty soon. And maybe we're going to have an event this summer. Uh, we might sort of uh, have a impromptu outpost silver club uh, event of some kind, Yale alumni event. But uh, when we go to regionals, we often play these courses that are just so much longer than Yale. And Yale is unfortunately has too many driver wedge holes for the guys. It doesn't, it doesn't offer enough variety for them or challenge them enough. And this reversible routing, as daft as it may sound, actually worked. And it's now about 72, 63, par 70, tons of fun shots. You need, your, you need to bring a five wood sort of to play the course or a, a nice sort of high lofted high lofted rescue of some kind but thanks so much colin before we get to lance ringler and all his great college insight i've got to take a moment to thank the silver club golfing society for the support of this podcast and everything they do surrounding what we're doing we want to connect you to the competitive game to the amateur game and Silver Club Golfing Society is really what it's all about right now. This is our inaugural year. We've got a host of tournaments. You can check us out on our website at silverclubgolfingsociety.com. Look under 2019 events. Get a sense of where we're going. We go to places that are just unreal. Some of the greatest golf courses you will play in the United States from Quaker Ridge to the Inverness Club to Pasa Tiempo. You name it, we're going there. We're bringing events all around the country for competitive players. You gotta love 
playing competition on some of the world-class golf courses by some of the best architects that have ever walked the face of this earth. Remember, you can check us out on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. And also, you can check us out on Facebook and like us, retweet us, do all that good stuff. We really love bringing you a great golfing society that's full of competition and camaraderie. Please enjoy this podcast and this interview from College Golf Insider Lance Ringler. He is stationed in Fayetteville, Arkansas right now, sandwiched in between the women's and the men's NCAA championships. He's going to give you lots of insight on what's going on, so enjoy. Lance Ringler. What's up, my man? Hey, hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, just out here trying to stay awake. <laughs> hey, I got uh, got your buddy from Yale, Colin Sheehan, uh, hey, on Colin, here as well. Good. Hey, Colin. Lance, what's up? How you doing, man? Good, good. Lance, hey, really appreciate you uh, carving out a few moments of your day. Yeah. I know you're 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 busy. You're kind of right in between the NCAA championships. Now, Lance Ringler, uh, just for our listeners out there on the Silver Club podcast, uh, from Indiana, you've been a Golf Week college insider for years upon years, you've been around this game so much, and and you know we we love we love talking about competition here on the Silver Club podcast, and you know you you spent time out uh, this last week at the NCAA Women's, and now this upcoming week for the men, so we're kind of sandwiched right in the middle. Uh, what sort of perspective can you can you give our listeners on uh, this Blessings Golf Course in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and kind of the the whole aura that is college golf right now, and the 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 this, the uptick really in the the boom of college golf. Wow, that's a that's a, that's an open ended question. I could go on for a long time there, Steve. All right, well we, we can <laughs> we can listen to you all day. Um, I, I guess I guess if we first let's talk. You know, we could chat about the golf course. Um, it's it, blessings golf club. It's a uh, really really. It's it's just a, it's a really good facility from the standpoint of how well kept it is. It's 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 I mean it's in darn near perfect condition everywhere. I mean the the range is is unbelievable. The 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 areas around the green are you just can't find bad spots. This place got so much rain during the women's championship, and I am amazed. Somebody actually told me that how well this course drains, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, you hear that all the time. And they said they've never had a mud ball here. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> well, it's true. We had, a, we had a downpour in the middle of the day. Teams went back out on the course shortly after, and you could not believe how dry it was. It's just, it's truly amazing. But the only, the only negative to the course is it's, a, it's not a great course for spectators um, or t- to get out and watch. You, you can't, it's hard. There's not very many holes that you can see. Uh, multiple holes from the same spot, right. and it's just it's it's a really really difficult course. Well, that's why it's on I'm, it's on Golf Channel now. <laughs> we can all watch yeah. it uh, at home, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know, the championship itself as a whole has kind of suffered from the standpoint of having the men and women back to back. I mean, if you go back and you look at you know 2009, you know 10, 11, 12. I mean, we were the men were going to venues such as Inverness uh, Honors Course. Riviera. I mean, look at some of those venues. And now, not to take anything away from, you know, Concession or Rich Harvest Farms or, or you know, Eugene Country Club and then now here. But it's difficult to find a course that's going to give up its facility for two consecutive weeks, which is what the demand is now because 
of the event being on television because Golf Channel has to have it at the same spot for two weeks for production costs. So you've kind of been roped into some of these venues and it's, you know, without, it's, it's kind of hurt the men's championship from that standpoint because they don't have the venues that they were getting and who knows what kind of venues they would have kept getting had it stayed one week and was on television. Well, even if it wasn't on television, they were still getting, you know, Riviera. Um, So, you know, so that from that standpoint, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's been kind of funky. And then, you know, you have the two straight weeks where, the women end and boom, right away, the men start their practice round and, and go from there. So, you know, it's, it's been good. Um, television has definitely spiked interest in, in the, in the event, but it's really the match play that people, um, have drawn. That's what's, that's what drawn, that has drawn people in. And what I mean by that is people like, for some reason or another, people like the losing aspect of it. And you hear me out when I say that. Yeah. When you play a game, there's a, when you watch a basketball or a football game, there's a winner and there's a loser. And that's what people like. People like to see a team win. People like to see a team lose. When we play stroke play and go 72 holes and Georgia or USC or Duke, whoever it may be, what, what, you know, men or women, and somebody wins by 12 shots in stroke play, I mean, honestly, that's, that's boring. And, you know, and when you go home and you say, hey, you know, we just played the national championship and, you know, USC women won by 12, but we finished fourth. We finished fourth in the national championship. And people are like, big deal. (laughs) Yes. So. No, you're right. Yeah. You feel like you feel like there's a 50 50 chance that either team can can take home the title. Right. It brings right, Lance. I mean, it certainly brings the underdogs in. You only have to win three matches, one up. At a minimum, you can get sort of routed in the other two. I mean, mean, looking at the women, I mean, as I'm sure you, as you wrote, like every single match was 3 2 with with the exception of one of them. So fascinating. The amount of pressure that comes down to the one player, that's the other thing I'd say you, you rarely see in stroke play where the last group where it's all tied and someone needs to make a party. A lot of sort of factors have to line up. It's not it's extremely common for there to be two matches aside and it's two golfers with two holes to go. That is the most probably compelling drama in yeah. college golf. What was your favorite from, the, from all the sort of from the women's brackets? My favorite moment? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't know if there's a single moment. Um, it's just the, 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 the buildup to, to what can happen. That's just what it, what it creates. And then, you know, what, what we've, what, what the match play has created, nobody would, would have known who Haley Moore was, you know, before, before last year and her going five and zero in her matches, uh, and almost leading Arizona, you know, Patrick Reed style back to a, a second championship and going six and zero, and then yesterday having all three of those matches go extra holes. Um, you know, just th- those are the moments that you remember. I mean, I've I've sat and looked that this was my this was my twentieth women's championship, and this is my nineteenth men's championship. Wow! And I sit and look back at all the ones prior to match play, and you really can't remember much other than who won you know you just can't really you really don't remember shots you don't remember things however fast forward to the last few years of match play you know i remember you know remember players and and shots and holes and running and and you know i never ran on the golf course before until match play so you you remember those things 
much much more than you do in the stroke play. So the, to pick out one moment would be hard, but it's just that's that's kind of the the thing that uh, that sticks out now is just all the moments you have. In fact, I think I wrote a column a couple of years ago on all the different moments uh, that you, that you see in match play. Yeah. So so talking about you know talking about the the women just briefly, and then we'll we'll ask you a couple of questions. Talk about the the men's upcoming championship this week. There's a few players out there that have really jumped out as uh, you know the ones that were really exciting to watch this year. Arkansas's Maria Fossey playing on her home golf course in her very final NCAA championship. Uh, ended up winning the individual title. Jennifer Cupshow, uh, the Augusta National Women's Amateur Champion. Now uh, she was a part of that final match yesterday with the Wake Forest women's team and uh, unfortunately hit a poor tee shot. And uh, what what other? I mean, it it it, it was uh, you know it was a pretty pretty riveting uh, finish, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the storyline that comes out of it, obviously, a lot of people are going to point towards you know Cup Show and Wake Forest coming up short. Um, you know, Cup Show's had kind of a you know as Beth Ann uh, Nichols from Golf Week described it, kind of a fairy tale uh, fairy tale career so to speak at Wake Forest and, and then you know winning almost winning an individual title a few years ago then winning an individual title then winning the ANWA and then almost leading her team to victory here uh, but uh, you know seeing Dan Brooks and Duke uh, win its seventh title and also win one in match play um, you know that that was that's probably the story the main story coming out of this that, that Duke finally got one in match play because it's not easy to win one the, the team that wins the stroke play never wins the match play. In fact, it's never happened in the women and it's only happened one time in the men. So, and that was last year with Oklahoma state. So interesting. Interesting. And, and for all our listeners out there, this just came out on golf week, uh, about an hour or two ago in the upcoming U S women's open at country club of Charleston next week, Maria Fossey, Jennifer cup show and Sierra Brooks from the university of Florida will <laughs> all be paired together in the first two rounds at the women's open. So that will be, uh, that will be exciting television to watch. And, you know, we can really, we feel like we can really connect with these players, huh? Yeah. I mean, you do because you're seeing them now, you know, through the championship being televised and obviously the ANWA. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's been, it's been a big boost to the game. No doubt. Lance, are you, uh, do you uh, think this, this, this revised format uh, is, has reached a sort of, um, uh, you know, is, is there anything you would tweak with the current format for the men's and women's NCAA championships? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would I would get rid of seventy two holes uh, of, of stroke play. It's not necessary. They don't college golf, as you well know. They don't play seventy two holes all year. It's fifty four holes. You don't play a you know forty or whatever you know how two halves of football, and then all of a sudden you get to a bowl game, you get your 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 championship games in college football and play an extra quarter. Same thing in basketball, and you know, you don't know, you don't play ten extra minutes in the final four. And baseball, you don't play twelve innings in the, when you get to Omaha. Right. So there's no need in playing in playing that extra day. You play fifty four holes of stroke play, then that allows you to then play one match per day. When you have to play two matches in one day, and, and you both know, Steve, I know you from all your playing days. That is exhausting. It, it is, and it is. it's 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 ridiculous from this standpoint. You go out and say, you know, you have a team that gets into the championship, makes match play for the first time in program history. And 
all their fan base at home is it, it, it can watch on TV, follow along on social media, and they go out and they win a match, okay? And they win that match, and at noon, they do the pairings for their next match starting at one or two, and now they go back out. They, have, they don't even get time to celebrate an NCAA victory because now they have to turn right around and go right back out and play, yeah. and then they get beat, yeah. and they leave. What just happened? And right. they go home, and they're like, now they're upset, and it's sour because they actually their their season's over. They came up one match short of making the national championship match. Yeah. But what gets lost is the fact that they actually played really well to get into match play, and they actually won a match. It gets lost. So there's no time. Think about it. Think about the final four in basketball. You would never have the teams play Saturday morning. And then come back and play that night. Think of all the buildup <laughs> to the national championship game on Monday night. No. Hey, we're in the championship game. You know, we so they, they need they that's something that they, you know, there's no need. Fifty four holes of stroke play. You go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday you start match play. And if 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 seventy two holes is necessary, great. Then cut to a final four and play Tuesday and Wednesday. Just just I've talked to and that's my opinion, and I base that opinion on talking to all the coaches that have played in that format, and they they don't like it. So it's it's funny you say all this because my I took two individuals to Stanford lot for the the Stanford regional, mm-hmm. and knowing how important that that is for so many teams, I actually you know talking with my players and a few others, I felt like the regional should be seventy two holes. It's almost like that's the do or die weekend for so many programs from from you know from all the way from the finest programs in the country all the way into the sort of 60s everyone there i mean your, your year sort of yeah is defined by whether or not you you make it to nationals and i remember watching you know down the stretch virginia old miss um lsu and they're battling and i'm thinking god yeah. what it should just be 1836 18 of all tournaments we could spare a round and there are there are some re- you know this there are some uh conference championships that are 72 holes it's a totally yeah. to them but yeah there's two of them i believe Right. No, I, yeah. I see. I see you're getting. I feel like I'm surprised to hear that coaches would be in favor of just three rounds, knowing how so much is for well, the other programs with riding their whole year is defined by whether they make match play or not. Yeah, I, I, I didn't say that they're all in favor of the three rounds. They're in favor of not playing two matches a day. Oh. So the the fix to that is to only play three rounds. I think the ones that are that are in favor of that would rather see the, the elimination of one round versus the two matches a day. If, if there's if there's a way to fix that. But, but you know, my, once again, I certainly understand your point on on the regionals is the most, you know, it's so important to have that extra round. But once again, I'll just say you don't play 54. You don't play 72 holes all year. And there's just I just don't think you need to play that extra round. And I actually have done I haven't done it in a couple of years, but all the conferences, championships that play 72 holes. When I go, I went back and looked for all the years they did that. It was, it was all, it was, I think it was just a little bit over 85%. The team that was the leader after 54 holes also went on to win after 72 holes. So there's not a lot of change when you add one extra round. You know, Brooks Kepka is leading the PGA after 54. He wins it after 72. I mean, Tiger Woods, 54. I mean, just, there's usually not a lot of change, especially, you know, it's kind of the way it goes. Right, right, right. No, great, great point there. And, you know, you, you, that kind of leads me to my next topic, really, with you. Uh, before we talk about the men's NCAA, you back uh, 
and, and you can you can uh, clue us in exactly which year this started. But you were highly involved in the creation of the Golf Week Sagarin Player Rankings. Uh, discuss that a little bit and and how that's evolved over the years and when it started. Yeah. So basically, in the mid nineties, the, the only the only college golf rankings that were out there were. Um, Gosh, you're really going to test me. There was a there was a guy out of the College Golf Foundation out of Princeton, New Jersey, or something. He did. It was a tennis deal, and he did some sort of ranking that he he started doing. And then you had the the Golf Week tailor made points ranking system that Ron Balicki developed, but that was just a point based system, and it only considered elite tournaments. So Golf Stat wasn't really they were doing stuff, but they didn't have national rankings that really were public. They had golf stat committee reports and stuff but nothing out there for the for the public for the most part and i I saw a big need so a friend of mine is jeff sagarin and i approached him and and asked him if we could do that and it took a couple years of trying to explain to him how college golf worked that because he he viewed doing rankings based on course rating and slope and and so i didn't hear from him for about two years because he said you couldn't do it and then out of the clear blue he calls me one day he says lance i can do it I said, do what? <laughs> he said, I can do rankings, college golf rankings. And I said, okay. He said, isn't it basically just head-to-head? And I said, yeah. He goes, okay, yeah, we can do that because we just apply the head-to-head formula that he does for all his other sports. And what happened was if you were a team, you know, an Ivy League school, you know, such as, such as Yale, or if you were, you know, UC Santa Barbara or Missouri State, you had no idea really where you ranked or how, how you stacked up against the country. So this was exciting for me, and I started getting the results, and uh, we were plugging them in, and so it would have been like the 2000 season, 2000, 2001, or 99, 2000, we came out and started doing uh, team and player rankings for, uh, and Golf Week um, jumped on board, and, and here, we, here we are going almost 20 years later. Yeah, 20-year anniversary right here. So let's, let's uh, and, and that's, that's all great stuff, and that's, you know, it's helped us kind of understand who the best players are, who the best teams are as we we move on and and the televised uh, nature of the game now is uh, you know it, it it gives the announcers a lot of stats and a lot of uh, information to show out to the public so so let's talk a little bit about the men's NCAA upcoming this week and and everything really it, it, in my eyes right here everything points towards Oklahoma State just uh, trying to win their back to back really for the first time a back to back NCAA championship, but I mean, who else other than Oklahoma State is really in the mix? Well, first off, you're right. All, everything points towards Oklahoma State, but and if it was stroke play, absolutely. But it's match play, <laughs> so it's gonna it's gonna level it levels the playing field, and then that opens the door up for anyone who can get themselves into that top eight after after seventy two holes. So, you know, there's there's a lot of teams that are playing well coming in. Um, you know, Arizona State's had a phenomenal year. Georgia Tech's played really well. They've won five times. Wake Forest has been strong this this spring. Um, you know, you just go on and on. There's South Carolina, Auburn. Uh, there, there's there's a ton of teams that that can get into the top eight. So really, that's the goal right now. You're you you know you're teeing it up tomorrow with the, with only looking at eighth place and trying to get yourself into the top eight. And then once that happens, you know, the reset button, you can hit the reset button and you play match play. And as you saw, as we talked about earlier on this podcast, 
the score is going to be three to two. It's almost guaranteed. It's the 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 playing field is leveled, and all you got to do is find a way to win a couple matches, and you're going to maybe move on. And Oklahoma State will get beat. Lance, what type? I know you described the course earlier, but what what type of player does this sort of uh, favor? Uh, you know. I, some obviously long hitters. That's just, I mean, the course they, they have on the card, almost 7,700 yards. Um, so it's, it's, it's deep. Um, but it's also going to require someone who, uh, who's crafty around the greens. These, these greens complexes are, are, have all of them have roll offs and, 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 and undulated, um, putting surfaces. So it's, it's going to favor, it's going to favor someone who can hit the ball high into the green and, and long hitters, you know, kind of what, kind of what favors that you know the 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 top golfers nowadays you know, you know it's nothing, funny nothing the, uh, the NCAA told us told told us here at Yale about five years ago that you know we, we broached the subject of hosting a national championship and they told us well you're gonna have to lengthen your course by 400 yards and I yeah. just realized that our golf course is 900 yards shorter than blessings maybe we have to add 900 yeah. every year we every year we we pass yeah. on hosting it it has to go up another well 100. Hundred yards. What they what they didn't tell you is you needed to find a way to get your golf course into the Pacific time zone too. That would help, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it has to be on. Te- it's on television and it's got to be prime time for a golf channel. They won't say that on the record, but that's why we're going yeah. to Arizona probably forever. Well, that's you know. I, so that explains it because I thought it was ludicrous that the uh, they signed a long term deal in late May and early June of all places. They're going to the Arizona desert. Yeah. Yep. So not only not only is, does it just sound like a you know just silly to, to be in that ge- you know geographical region for that time of the year missing the opportunity to play you know in the north and northeast right and i mean the recruiting advantage to sort of home the, the host school there which I, I i still don't quite understand but i guess it's it's tv and golf channels sort of driving the uh driving the decision here is that it yeah i mean you you just hit the nail on the head <laughs> i don't even have to say anything yeah you know and that's the thing i mean you know, it, it, going back to the women and Maria Fossey winning. Maria Fossey is one of the top players in the game. You know, ranked in the. You know, she ends up being ranked number two. I think she was ranked fifth or sixth coming in. What an advantage! I mean, think about if you're a top player in the game and you get to play at home. Oh my goodness! I mean, that's just so. My thing. I didn't vote her player of the year. I voted Frida Kinholt player of the year at uh, from Florida State. Frida's worst finish all year was I think thirteenth or twelfth, and they think she finished like eleventh here. But, you know, she had to go against Maria, who's playing on her home course. You know, Maria wins the NCAA championship, but Frida's still, I think, the best player all, all year long in college golf. She's not going to win those awards because everyone votes and sees they put so much stock in the national championship. But, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, last year, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State was good. One of the best teams that we've seen in, in the last 25, 30 years, no question about it. And they did become the first team to win, stroke, the first team to be ranked number one, win stroke play and win match play playing at home helped them do that i'm not saying they wouldn't have accomplished that somewhere else but that definitely helped <laughs> now if they go if they go out this year and do the same thing then we're talking about a two-year run that's maybe one of the best we've ever seen in college golf i personally don't think they'll win match play just because <laughs> that's what the odds say i'll take i'll take the field when it comes to match play now now who else my who's a, who's your dark horse out there this week who's the team that maybe not a lot of people have put on their radar that that might have a good chance to uh, take the title. Well, I mean, like some of the teams I mentioned, I don't know if you'd call them a dark horse. I Oklahoma, um, 
I mean, they're ranked, you know, seven or eight in that range. Has Brad you Dahlke gotten you know, his game back together? And what's because he was yeah, out for an event or two earlier in the yeah, year, wasn't he? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. They got two players back from the team that won a couple years ago at Rich Harvest. They they might be considered a little bit of a dark horse. Georgia Tech hasn't been to the national championship in three years. They haven't even gotten here. They they can get through regionals. Um, so, I, you know, it's hard to call them dark horses. Um, you know, but those types of teams, I mean, you run into your, you start to go down a little bit, you know, Georgia, a team led by a freshman, um, you know, like I said, Steve, you could go, if you can just get yourself into that top eight and you get a good matchup and the pairings work out your favor, you know, mm-hmm. Illinois, a team like that, they, they can do some damage. Yeah, Mike, Mike Small that's knows why, how that's, to, he knows how to teach them there in uh, Champaign, he, Illinois. And that's why when everyone asks me, you know, walking around on the grounds here or you guys or somebody... Who's who's going to win this week? And I say I have no idea. I, you can't you can't pick it now. I'll give you a winner once we get the match play brackets. I mean, I had Wake Forest winning it in in, in what I picked when, once I saw the match play brackets. I had Wake Forest winning, and they came up just short. But you just can't you can't pick it because you just don't know. You know you don't know who Victor Hovland or Matt Wolf's going to get paired up against in that quarterfinal or semifinal match. So to pick someone who's going to win now, Ed, that's just that's that's just guessing. Well, Lance, I, um, I want to thank you for all of your coverage. Uh, you know, for everything you do for college golf, it's, it's uh, you're clearly you, you're clearly the sort of number one insider and passionate about it. Um, you have a standing invitation to come to Northeast, maybe cover the McDonald Cup one of these falls, uh, or our spring invitational. I feel like maybe the uh, Sagarin rankings in Ballstat might have a might adjust their algorithms a little bit. Saw the conditions in which we sometimes play. Yeah, we, we didn't. We I was waiting for you to start grilling me on that, and I didn't get any questions there. But I, I'll, we, I'm laying. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to call you out on this podcast, or you know, Cambridge with being compared with Missouri State. That's you know, that's all right. We, we're cool. <laughs> that was that was a hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so last thing I've got to ask you now. Not only are you the, the golf college, the college golf guru of the the country, and in my mind, the world, but you are a basketball official. You you referee basketball back in your home state in Indiana. What is harder? Yes. What's what's harder? Uh, you know, getting out there and 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 covering the the game and and you know trying to pick these these winners or you know, or, or, or not calling somebody on a charge down the lane. <laughs> well, I, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have told you officiating basketball is harder, but I've been doing it 30 years and I've seen the thing about officiating. What I always tell people, especially young people starting out is all it is, is seeing plays over and over and over again. So now when I'm, when I'm reffing a game, there's generally not a play I haven't seen. So when I see stuff happen, it, it, I've already seen it. I've, you know, I, I, I know how to process it and, you know, just you blow the whistle when you need to blow the whistle. It's pretty, it's pretty simple nowadays. I tell people that and they're like, Oh, it can't be that easy. And I go, it is, it really is. When you've been doing it this long, you've seen enough plays. Um, it, it's pretty simple. So getting out here and trying to figure out what these kids and coaches are doing, that, that might be harder for me nowadays. <laughs> All right. Well, well, look, uh, Lance Ringler, we are so happy to have you here on the silver club podcast and giving us, your direct insights of the NCAA college game, and uh, can't wait to watch this uh, the men's side this upcoming week on Golf Channel. Yeah, it, like I said, it's it should be good stuff. I mean, we got a lot of teams that that uh, that can pl- that that can play, and and 
it's it like I said, match play has a way of creating drama, and um, we, we should we should have some of that this week. Awesome. Well, look, enjoy your time uh, the rest of the week in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, look forward to catching up with you again real soon. All right, guys, take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Lance.